host, George Osborne. We've been looking at 30 of the biggest British video games of all time over the course of this podcast series to give you a little bit of an insight into the making of them and the stories behind them. But this is a podcast with a slight twist. You see, we're looking at one of the big stories behind one of the major British video games to have released in the last 30 years, but it's not about its development. It's about its release, and in particular, about the fact that at first it wasn't released because it wasn't allowed to be released. Now, Manhunt 2 was a pretty controversial game back in the mid-2000s when it was first mooted for release. The original game, Manhunt in 2003, had managed to cause an absolutely enormous media storm due to supposed issues relating to video game violence. When its sequel, Manhunt 2, was coming to the market, people expected it to go on sale and go on sale again at an 18 rating. But the BBFC, who at that time were monitoring the rage rating system and in particular were responsible for issuing adult ratings onto video games, took a bit of an unusual step. They actually decided to deny the game an age rating and they cited a number of reasons for doing so. However, the game's makers and Tiger, yeah, that's that's a word I'm going to mention in the Yuki podcast, Tiger were not happy about this at all. They ended up taking the BBFC back to the Video Advisory Council and they ended up locked in a court case. Yes, an actual court case featuring lawyers and barristers and other legal experts who essentially argued the toss over whether the BBFC could prevent a game like this getting a rating. And in particular, they went on course to try and find out why the BBFC rejected it. Because aside from a few paragraphs where they put a little bit of information about why they decided to turn this game down for a rating, they didn't provide that information. So this podcast, rather than being the story of the making of the game, it's the story of this case. It's the story of what happened. Why was Manhunt 2 banned? Why, in particular, did the appeals end up working out in the end in the favour of the developer and publisher? And what, in the end, did it mean a little bit for the future of age ratings? So rather than hear me witter on too much, I'm going to jump straight into the podcast and we're going to allow Vincent Scherer, who now works at Payload Studios, but was at the case when it was actually taking place, to go and take the story on from here. Yes, so my name is Vincent Scherer. I have worked as a lawyer in the games industry for 22 years. Uh, I am now um, one of the founders and the operations director of Payload Studios, which is a games company here in London. And I'm also the head of legal and business affairs at Rebellion. Fantastic. So um, we're going to be talking about Manhunt 2 and its controversial, what I'm calling the BBFC ban on my little uh, alliterative subtitle that I've gotten here. Um, but before we get to speaking about that, um, I just want to talk a little bit about your career up to the point where you got involved in this, because I'm quite interested to hear, first of all, a bit about how you got into the industry, because this is something that we're talking with all our podcast guests about, is how you actually got in and got involved but also about what brought you into this particular case. Because in, in a sense, you were kind of a bystander, weren't you? I was a bystander, yes. Um, so how I got into the industry is quite interesting because I do a job that's quite unusual. I work in the legal side of video games. It's quite a narrow field within games and also a very narrow field within law. It's ha- yeah. Within the legal profession, it's hyper-specialised. Yeah. Um, but I've been a gamer all my life and I just 
fluked a job at a games publisher. So my first job was um, acting as the in-house lawyer at a publisher called Europress, um, which I happened to get because I was living in Stockport uh, with my parents at the time. They were looking for someone and I just saw the adverts and I thought, God, I didn't know there was a games industry in the UK. This is great. <laughs> Um, so I got the job, uh, um, which was great because that was a great introduction to the actual way that the games industry operates, not just how games are made or anything like that. It was yeah. the business side. Uh, that company went bust, um, started going bust pretty much when I joined, but that's entirely coincidental. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right, just, just putting that one on the record. <laughs> um, and um, uh, got into some difficulties. Some bits were sold off and um, I got a job. Um, in 1999 at Osborne Clark's legal department that specialised in games and then in 2004 I set up my own business representing games companies, um, mostly representing games creators in their contractual dealings with publishers yeah. and in 2013 I set up Payload Studios and since last year I've really only just concentrated my time purely on Payload Studios and Rebellion. Oh fantastic and so Manhunt 2, so the original Manhunt first one came out in 2003 and it caused quite a lot of controversy when Rockstar released it so um, I mean at the time that released um, the BBFC gave it an 18 rating but said it was essentially at the upper limit of you know what they were used to giving a rating for because they were responsible for doing so under the Video Recordings Act um, and then in 2007 Manhunt 2 uh, it's wending its way towards release uh, when the BBFC essentially denies it an age rating it, it goes out and says that we are not going to rate this which is something that's in, apparently incredibly rare for the BBFC to have made such a decision um, they've done it twice including that one sure Carmageddon so, being the other one Carmageddon was the other one so at the time so you were there operating your own business and you were working alongside Tiger with this so how did this come onto your radar yes yeah, so um it's not a, I mean, it's a genre of game that I now play, but actually at the time I, it wasn't a game that I was familiar with. Obviously I was familiar with the whole Manhunt 1 thing, which had resulted in a very big moral panic because of a stabbing, yeah. which was entirely incorrectly attributed by some of the tabloid press to Manhunt 1, um, which brought Manhunt and video games into the spotlight in a very negative way back in the early 2000s, as yeah. you say, when, when Manhunt 1 came out. Um, uh, at the time I was on the board of Tiger and um, Rockstar were looking for witnesses to bring along to the appeal hearing against the BBFC's decision to, I mean, to ban Manhunt. Yeah. And that's what it was, it was a decision to, to ban it. Yeah. And so that's when I first um, came across the fact that there was actually going to be uh, a, a litigated hearing. Um, it wasn't in a court, it was before the Video Appeals Council. Um, but there was going to be a dispute with barristers and witnesses. And I thought, well, this is very interesting. So uh, we obviously said, yes, we, we should really uh, um, support Rockstar in this because it's not just about manhunt, it's about the industry and about the regulation of the industry. Um, and I thought, well, I'll go and turn up. It was a day's hearing. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Rockstar had uh, Jeffrey Robertson QC, who is one of the most eminent um, civil rights lawyers in post-war British history. He was at the time, I think, uh, uh, sitting on the War Crimes Tribunal in Sierra Leone. Um, and he had come back to, uh, to 
present Rockstar's case on, on, um, uh, and it was a, a day's hearing and it was fascinating because this was the first time we really got an idea of what the actual arguments were against Manhunt 2. Sure, and so can you give me a quick summary of those those arguments? What were the arguments for and against it? Well, the all we knew before the hearing itself was that um, the BBFC had put out a press release um, which said, we don't like this game, and um, but without giving... Um, Many uh, um, many details. I can read it to you. Yes. So the press release, which is the, the the totality of the information we had as an industry as to what their criteria were, yeah. was a three paragraph hatchet job, uh, which reads as follows: uh, Manhunt Two is distinguishable from recent high end video games by its unremitting bleakness and callousness of tone in an overall game context which constantly encourages visceral killing with exceptionally little alleviation or distancing. There is sustained and cumulative casual sadism in the way in which these killings are committed and encouraged in the game. Although the difference should not be exaggerated, yes, although the difference should not be exaggerated, the fact of the game's unrelenting focus on stalking and brutal slaying and the sheer lack of alternative pleasures on offer to the gamer, together with the different overall narrative contexts contribute towards differentiating this submission from the original Manhunt game, this being, as you say, a game which they did approve. Against this background, the board's carefully considered view is that to issue a certificate to Manhunt 2 on either platform, this is, I think, Xbox and PlayStation, would involve a range of unjustifiable harm risks to both adults and minors within the terms of the Video Recordings Act, and accordingly its availability, even if statutorily confined to adults, would be unacceptable to the public. So what you had here was a tsunami of adjectives yes. and very little actual specificity as to what the problems were. Sure. It was bleak, it encouraged killing, but you know, bleak, why is that a problem? Killing, yes, that happens in video games. Happens in other games as well. Happens in film. It happens in film, happens in TV, happens everywhere. So it was very hard for us as an industry to look at this and go, okay, well, I know what line this crosses and where the line is. Yeah. They didn't say where the line was. Yes. It was just, we don't like it, and here's a bunch of adjectives we're going to throw at you in order to mask the fact that we can't come up with anything specific. Um, but obviously, as I said, at the hearing, they were, they were required Yes. to set out in more detail what the real problems were. And that's why it was so useful to actually go to the hearing itself. Yeah, I mean, so, so, so when they did set it out in more detail, you know, what, what were they saying were their concerns? They had 10, they had ten. specific, well, they listed 10 points in the um, witness statements of the, their principal witness, who I believe was, um, if I just check this, was um, David Cook, yes, who you may see, you know, he is a signatory on some of these little certificates they show at the start of films when you go to, to the cinema. Interesting. So that was the guy who, um, who, uh, who they brought in. Yeah. Uh, and what was interesting is so that they had to, the, the, he provided a witness statement and I was able to take copies of the 10 points that he makes and also the barrister um, for the BBFC 
elaborated on some of the arguments yes. and actually succeeded in making them even more laughable in court than they were in the hearing than they were when they were written down. Yeah. Um, so yes, I can tell you what they are. So firstly, point number one was stealth and violence. In a video game. Yep. The game's two major mechanics are stealth and violence. They are inextricably linked. The more skillful the stalk of the victim, the more violent the kill in the cutscenes of the execution. There are three variations of kill in relation to each weapon, in relation to each potential victim. Hasty, violent and gruesome. Now at this stage it's important to remember that Manhunt 2 is an adult product set in an extremely bleak setting where the player has to escape from a prison-style facility by using whatever weapons he has to hand. I mean, yes. that is the core premise of the game. Yeah. Uh, and so objection number one was uh, it's stealthy uh, and it's violent. Yep. Um, the, now, now, the... Uh, the witness for the BBFC, Mr. Cook, actually expanded on this in his witness statement. So this was actually these 10 points came from the pleadings and then in his witness statement expanding on this. He says many of these killings are in inverted commas sneak attacks, close inverted commas, in which the character controlled by the game player hides in shadows until his victim's back is turned, then creeps up behind him and attacks with one of a large variety of weapons available to him. Killing in such a fashion maintains the character's health, whereas fighting face-to-face -face depletes the character's health and risks failure to complete the level. So there they're saying, look, it's not really Queensby rules, is it? You're yeah. going out there, you're creeping up on someone, stabbing them in the back. It's just not on. It's not British. No, and I think it's interesting because if you even think about games released more recently, I mean, you think about something like Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, and you think about that, and you think about the kind of rating that Peggy gives it nowadays. I mean, that features in that game, Link, sneaking up on people, um, producing sneak attacks as a way of saving health. There are always stealth levels. I mean, my favourite game, Paper Mario, has great stealth levels. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's it's not one where there would be a controversy over its no. harm to children. Yes. Um, so they're getting off on a pretty bad start <laughs> with their list of points. Uh, point two, violence. The violence is unremitting and sadistic. There is violence practiced by others, including many beatings and kickings, as well as by the character played by the gamer. Well, I mean, it's a violent game, so you know, you're escaping a violent situation, but the NPCs are violent. It's an 18 rated. I don't know. Um, anyway, that was a problem for them. Number three. The violence has a substantial degree of realism, enhanced by strikingly convincing sound effects and visual angles. Now this is a funny one because they made a big play about this and a lot of it came down to the fact that it was more realistic than earlier games. Yes. Now obviously the history of video games, particularly games set in the real world, has been uh, an increasingly realistic environment, realistic graphics, really realistic behaviours sure. uh, and so on. Now the witness statement expands on that um, and an acceptable degree of sadistic relish is maintained throughout the retention of realistic sound effects. That's interesting to me because sadistic relish to me is a subjective commentary on the player of the game. Yes. So it would seem to me to, um, to say more about the mindset of the BBFC people playing the game than yes. it does about the game itself. Anyway, in many um, argument, sub-argument number two, in many of these violent attacks, an unacceptable degree of sadistic relish was maintained, not just through the retention of violent imagery, but also through the retention of realistic sound effects death throws and of tools and weapons cutting into flesh and bone. 
These sound effects give a true indication of the real nature of the game. The whole game is designed to provide thrills of a sadistic nature to encourage the player to seek out gruesome, most gruesome images and sounds that the game can deliver. But again, I mean, a horror movie of any particular sort, I mean, you know, anything released prior to that, I mean, you look at The Exorcist, you know, and you think about the horrible sounds that are used in there to convey horror, um, and the BBFC provided that with a rating. Yes, and decades earlier. Yes. Uh, point three, the high degree of realism, especially in the presentation of acts of killing, is apparent in the game, delivering a strong visceral thrill to the gamer as each victim is dispatched with realistic gore images after a realistic stalk and sneak manoeuvre is completed. So again, you've got, you know, we're getting, we, the BBFC, are getting this visceral sadistic thrill by seeing this game, and that's bad for everyone. And I'm thinking, I don't get a, a, a sadistic thrill when I kill someone in a, in a video game. No. You've got the challenge, particularly if it's a stealth game, you've got the challenge of creeping up on someone uh, and dispatching them with whatever you've got available. Yes. And, uh, and you know, if you successfully complete a challenge, that's a good feeling. But I'm not getting a sadistic thrill, and, and this is a, an entirely subjective commentary, yeah. um, which, which, frankly, was quite extraordinary. It's also quite interesting, because mm. point, points one, points two, and points three are basically violence, 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 so far. I mean, I know that realism, I know they're saying realism, but realistically they're saying violence again. I mean, are, are, are the remainder of these points pretty similar? No, they got they get they get, they get more stupid, and, <laughs> and I use that advisedly as as we as we progress. So just just as well, just before we dive into point four, um, I'm I'm actually seeing your notes and what you've got against all of these ones. So you've got you know stealth and violence, violence, realism, but against point four, you've just got three question marks. Yeah, I mean, so, I, I didn't so even, what was there for? I couldn't even think of a title for this. Yeah. Um, Point four reads, the natural direction of the game is for Danny, who is the character controlled by the player, to succumb to Leo's voice, urging him to kill. And now Leo is some kind of disembodied voice that yeah. sometimes get, uh, uh, makes comments, particularly if you kill someone in a hideous way. Sure. Indeed, Danny's moral qualm, qualms soon disappear. Now, there aren't really moral qualms to be had if you're trying to escape from a prison uh, uh, um, uh, and it's not like a normal prison where you're in there for justified reasons. You you have a legitimate reason to get out of this place. Yeah. I mean, um, in, in the intro to the game, I was, I was watching it earlier today on YouTube as well, you know, that the prison essentially is in a full state of riot. Um, you know, it's, it's, there is this essentially sort of incredibly violent context going on around you as a character anyway. Um, and I think it establishes pretty early on that this is a you have to do what you have to do to survive that's exactly what it is and it, again within the context of it being an 18 rated game yeah. as well um, so that idea was just preposterous um, they start to get more entertaining as we go along uh, number five the methods of killing are gruesome and varied and mostly achieved with the use of everyday weapons rather than fantastical ones the BBFC has identified brutal potential killings by Danny in every level, save levels 5, 8, and 13. Um, all right, so you're, in a, you know, you're escaping from a prison, you've not got a load of weapons immediately to hand, you've got to use what you've got. What's great is that in their witness statement, they then expand on this use of weapons. Sure. I quote, the weapons include syringes, pens, shards of glass, knives, axes, saws, a bottle, brackets, both broken and unbroken, close brackets, a mace, baseball bat with barbed wire, Spades, pliers, plastic bags, garden shears, a circular saw, prod, nightstick, hand drill, sickle, flare gun, handgun, sniper rifle, Uzi machine gun, shotgun, toilet cistern lid, iron maiden, electric chair, meat hooks, and an industrial compactor. And one could almost hear this crescendo of horror in their minds as they 
list these evil weapons finishing with an industrial compactor but then is it really that different from a game where you've just got an m16 well exactly i mean you know and as well it seems to be the case that if you had the infinity blade in fortnite which is a sort of fantastical weapon then it'd be fine but the use of everyday weapons we've got that coming up yes yeah. um you'll be pleased to hear <laughs> um, point six there is no moral dilemma so there is except for parts one parts of level one and two no moral dilemma to elevate the gameplay the gamer is encouraged to take and is likely to take the violent option. This is confirmed by the board's research and also implicit in the review relied upon by Rockstar. So yes, you can stealth your way out of the thing completely or you can just stab people in the back if you're not very good at stealth. Sure. But to say that's a, I mean, that's a gameplay-derived choice, sure. um, but that was, 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 was repurposed in their mind as the absence of a moral dilemma as to whether you know, there's a, sure. there's a dilemma. Uh, I mean, you know, and do video games... Do all video games require a moral dilemma? It was never known to my mind that that was a requirement until I went to that hearing. That's it. Uh, argument number seven is equally fatuous. There is, in the board's judgment, no humour substantial enough to alleviate the unrelenting bleakness. So you've got a bleak game and you've got to put a couple of jokes in and maybe it's all right. Do I, I'm disappointed that they also didn't apply that similar standard to Schindler's List as well when they rated that, because yeah. that, that didn't have any humour in it. But, you know, surprisingly, that was quite impactful for the lack of humour, but never mind. Yes, and there are entire, we, we, we could come to this later, there are issues about the individuals who made these decisions and the fact that these were from film businesses and not from uh, backgrounds, not from games backgrounds. Sure. Uh, number eight is bizarre. Achieving more graphic executions does not confer points or give any wider advantage in terms of progressing. So you can kill people in more or less graphical ways and the fact that if you do it in a hideously graphical way, you don't get more points uh, is a bad thing. Now. Obviously, if there had been higher points, if you did execute a gruesome kill, that would have been right at the top of their list of problems. I mean, I'm sure that's the case. Anyway, they raised that as a problem. Um, number nine, um, a bit like argument six and seven, really, the puzzle element is limited and does not alleviate the dominant violent theme. So again, you've got this, this bleak theme, which I think is entirely valid in a creative work. And in their minds, it needs to be alleviated or uplifted by either a puzzle or a moral dilemma or, or humour. Right. Okay. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm struggling here with these ones. But number, number 10, just to round off their list. Um, uh, number 10, the Wii control. This is specific to the Wii version. The Wii controls give an added physicality to the game's interaction and, involve, and involvement in the kills. Now, is physicality the same as realism or is different? But, but I don't know. No, exactly. And I mean, anyone who used a Wiimote would be aware of the fact that it wasn't necessarily the sort of enormously um, accurate game controlling experience that it was somehow presented as. And I mean, you know, anyone who played Wii Tennis was aware of that. Um, so, <laughs> those were, so those were the 10 that um, the BBFC put forward. And they also, just to finish off looking at their, their detailed points, they also listed a number of deaths yeah. and compared it with some move, violent movies. Now, they do say it's a crude measure to just count the deaths. Sure. But they had a little chart in their documentation which they provided to the yeah. hearing, which had, you know, title on one column and number of kills in another. So right at the top, Manhunt 2, 300 kills. The next, Hostel, 13 kills. Hostel 2, 13 kills. Saw, 6 kills. Saw 2, 8 kills. Saw 3, 17 kills. Saw 1, sorry, Irreversible one kill, possibly two, we don't know what happened to the rape victim. Now, anyone who thinks that the body count 
in sore or hostile or irreversible is in any way relevant to whether to how you would analyze those films yes should not be in the business of of certifying films let alone games yeah because those films are not about body counts no it's uh, certainly it certainly aren't and even then it's the body counts of a film with a limited running time of two hours versus a video game with a running time that's considerably longer as well you know i mean even in the case of manhunt 2 it would have been longer than that so they've not even managed to apply that consistent standard there so what was what was the response to these arguments i mean i think i'm going to take a guess via the use of the word fatuous that you've used a couple of times that people thought this was ridiculous but well this is my opinion alone it has to be said yeah this is just my opinion um I, i haven't really heard many opinions about this yeah. uh, analysis as far as I could tell there was only one other journalist in the entire hearing yeah. who just reported the fact that there was a hearing yeah. I have not seen anywhere else any attempts at, at, at actually digging into and understanding other than Rockstar's defence lawyers who you know I'm critical of the BBFC they really ripped it to pieces yes um, uh, other than, than their response I have not seen any and one of the problems I have with this whole episode yeah. is that within the games industry there was not nearly enough reaction against this Yeah, um, if this had been a movie then that industry would have been up in arms about A about the ban and B once they'd got hold of the reasoning they'd have ripped it to pieces it would be in all the press everywhere Yeah, this just wasn't it wasn't reported properly in any of the press that I could find, either in the games press or something like in the wider press. And you ended up speaking to people in the games industry about a ban, with people saying, oh, well, it should be banned because it's, it's, it's just a crap game. I've heard people saying that. Well, yeah. say, A, I don't know if it's a crap game and I don't care. What you're saying when you're banning something is you're saying, I am making a decision that you cannot play this game, even if you want to. Yeah. I'm not just saying I'm not playing it, I'm saying you can't play it either. Yeah. Now, that is not a small thing to be saying to people. And no. Yet no one seemed to care and this was something that really annoyed me because I am a strong believer in games as a proper uh, legitimate creative um, uh, industry with, with uh, absolutely valid creative works um, yeah. this was before the, um, the US Supreme Court agreed that games could have First Amendment status it was always obvious to me that the games should have First Amendment status, status. Yeah. Um, but the industry itself the response from within the industry was, was just farcical yeah uh, and it was embarrassment, I think. So the industry itself didn't respond greatly to it. What was Rockstar's response to this? Because, you know, as you mentioned, this was presumably their defence team. First time actually seeing these reasons laid out like this. They'd, they'd seen the paragraph. They saw these responses. How did they go on the counterattack? Well, they, um, all I know from their responses is what I saw at the hearing. Yeah. Uh, I can only imagine what their responses were when they first saw the documentation and the privacy of their own offices. Um, but they ripped them to pieces. I mean, they didn't stand up to scrutiny. Yeah. When, when, during the hearing, you had the lawyer for the BBFC saying, oh, well, he's in the context of this long list of weapons. Yeah. Oh, these weapons are all very real, you know. You don't have wands, magic wands, so that doesn't break the real, realism, so that's a bad thing. Uh, you know the, the the people you kill are real. We're not killing griffins or Daleks, and they specifically mention griffins and Daleks. Yeah. You know, you're killing real people. It's just preposterous. Yeah. Uh, and, and how anyone could say this kind of stuff with a straight face still amazes me. Yeah. But you know the BBFC did, uh, uh, and you know, the the hearing was 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 
in front of seven people who weren't gamers. Um, I, I don't know what their qualifications were. Biddy Baxter was one of them. Yeah, you know, they, they, I think they're all grandees from the film and TV industry. Fine, yeah. you know, but but you know, not for games. No, and, and and they voted in both cases because there are actually two hearings. Yes, um, due to a, 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 a technicality that the board themselves uh, screwed up. Uh, in both cases, it was a narrow decision, four to three. Yes, which is a pretty interesting outcome as well because with that first decision because it went four to three and then the BBFC said they took it to judicial review is that correct they took it to judicial review because the video appeals council which is the people who were listening to the hearing yeah said in their decision they used a legal test let's see if I can find it very quickly I can explain to you exactly what what it was they used a legal test which was was not the the correct test in law yeah, and so the BBFC rushed off to the High Court, and they had to have the whole pantomime again. Where is it? Yes, because they. Oh they, yes, here we are. There we go. Uh, the, the 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 decision the first time appeared to suggest that a ban was only justified if the game was likely to have a devastating effect on players, and devastating is not a legal requirement. Sure. So, so they got that, and so they went. So this whole hearing took place. The video advisory council voted in the end four to three in favour of Rockstar in terms of allowing it to be released on an eighteen certificate. Yes, on an eighteen certificate. It then goes back to this judicial. It goes off to the high court. The judicial review happens. The case is reheard, and again it goes four to three. And then in the end, Manhunt Two gets released under an 18 certificate yes. in the UK um, and the BBFC ends up having to you know essentially go well this is happening so I mean what what did that do in terms of because in terms of like the wider context just to you know clear it up for anyone who's listening it's around this point that the Byron review is taking place um, which is looking into the way that age ratings are managed and in the UK there was essentially it was 1993 1994 where Elspur um essentially introduced informal age ratings up to a certain point and then the BBFC regulated video games under the Video Recordings Act um, and it kind of created this two-tiered system. I mean, what, what kind of impact do you think Manhunt 2 had on the way the age rating system developed afterwards? I, d I don't think it had a big impact. Sure. Uh, not enough people really knew about it or cared about it, as I said um, earlier, for it to really have a big impact. Byron, as you say, absolutely, quite correctly, was happening at the time. She'd been brought in by Gordon Brown to investigate the concept of harm to uh, to children through media in general, electronic media in general. What's interesting is her report has a has a, has a picture uh, which I've got here uh, on the front cover of a kid playing what looks like a handheld thing with a hand coming out of it. Yeah, and and the kids say, "Oh no, he harmed me." Which is exactly what the BBFC could have produced. Yes. Uh, and in fact, I'm surprised they didn't produce that as part of their argument. So well, yeah. it was by um, a 13 year old girl, I believe, who, who drew that, and Byron used it to illustrate her, um, her, um, her report. Her report, however, was much more sophisticated yes. <laughs> than that um, preposterous picture of a hand coming out of a machine to, to attack a kid. Uh, and um, she uh, quite correctly said there is no evidence of harm being caused. Um, uh, her job wasn't to investigate it and knew her job was to come up with a summary of the existing state of scientific knowledge at the time yeah uh, and since then obviously this was was 
more than 10 years ago since then, to my knowledge, all of the evidence that has come through has either remained, there is no proof, yeah. or has, has actually tended towards saying, actually, we, we are now more confident that there is no harm being caused by these types of products to yes. children. So, I mean, in terms of just looking back and looking back at the legacy of this case, both in terms of the way you see our industry and the way the industry has developed, what do you think? Do you think that in the end this had any major impact on the UK video games industry? I think one thing it had was that the BBFC showed that it was utterly incompetent at video games and should not be involved with video games. I think that was quite clear. Their whole structure was around um, dealing with porn and violence and had lots of people who knew their way around porn and violent movies and who could evaluate them but it was not fit for purpose in relation to video games and they did not know what they were talking about. Yeah. And I'm sorry to have to say that, but they really were bad. <laughs> I mean, it was pretty bad. To, to look at what they were coming up with and, and try to keep a straight face is quite a difficult job because it was just... It's something we see a lot in the video games industry, that people who just do not know games, don't play games themselves, find it very hard to assess games in, their, in the context of the wider industry or, 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 or what they're like to play. And you know that's not a, that's fine, but but don't try to t- try to try to censor people if if you don't know what you're talking about. So I think I don't know to what extent there was a direct causal link, but the BBFC's position in relation to video games declined substantially yes. since then uh, in in favour of Peggy. Yeah. Um, certainly, the BBFC lost whatever friends it had in the games industry. In this was already an existing battle between the BBFC and Peggy. Yes. Locally um, referred to as the BBFC Peggy Wars. Right. Yes. What, whatever you know, the, 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 and it wasn't just the fact that their arguments were bad. They 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 didn't provide us. I mean, I wrote to the BBFC personally saying we need the information that you use to, to because I've got clients who who are making games that are violent, and we need to know whether you're going to ban our product or not. Because if you ban a product and it's made by an independent developer, they will be sued by the publisher and they will go out of business and people's jobs will be lost. Uh, you cannot have a hearing like this, which would have cost an astronomical amount of money. Yeah. Manhunt 2 was kept off the market for more than a year. The costs of that were big for Rockstar. They would have been fatal for an independent developer. And I asked the BBFC what the reasons were, and they would not give them to me. And that was totally unacceptable. So they were not an acceptable party to deal with the, the video games industry. And yeah. uh, I'm very pleased to see that their involvement is extremely limited. Yes, and in terms as well, I mean, you know, there's a lot of big policy debates going on at the moment. You know, the government's looking into all kinds of things. They've got this immersive and addictive uh, select committee looking into immersive and addictive technology in which video games companies are included. You've got this uh, online harms white paper. You've got things like age-appropriate design. I mean, what did this make this case make you think about things like this today? Are you still concerned about, you know, your, your statement about people who don't know games or don't play games don't know how to assess them. Are you concerned that that is still taking place or do you think the debate's moved on? To an extent it's moved on a bit. The the issue is all with games, as with any new medium, is that the people, when when you get a new medium, the people in charge don't know it and then they hate it. Uh, And worse, they see their kids doing it rather than their kids doing stuff that they did and they get really annoyed by that. And they can't can't engage. Now that is an issue which is solved by time. And, And obviously since this came out since Manhunt 2. We've had, you know, Cameron as a prime minister. At least he 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 had an understanding of games. People like Tom Watson, who's very pro gamer. We we now have a political system where people 
are gamers themselves who are now making the rules and that was going to carry on and become more and more the case yeah. and so this generation of people who grew up thinking films and TV were great and anything to do with interactivity was second rate or second class that generation is literally dying out and yeah. will no longer be around so in the long game we're going to be alright in the short game we still continue to get to, to, to get affected by by ill thought out regulation um, and it does pop up in various different ways. Um, not all of the regulation is, is, is ill thought out. I think in some cases it's, it's legitimate. Um, a lot of the free-to-play regulation was legitimate. Uh, some regulation of loot boxes uh, that are paid for would be, would be absolutely correct. In fact, some of that you know, arguably already falls within regulations. But we still are in a position where people who don't understand video games are constantly trying to uh, regulate video games yeah. what we do see now is a much greater engagement with the industry than we had at the time of the BBFC yeah. so um, a good example being the, the whole free to play mechanics thing back in 2013 when that was uh, new regulations were announced for consumer protection uh, and the, you know, the regulators here in the UK uh, were very very keen to involve the industry at every step of the way and, and that was great. Fantastic. So it's fine. To, I mean, I, I, regulation itself is not a problem. There are plenty of laws. It's when there's no engagement with the industry the and actually an active refusal to engage with the industry that you've got real problems. And so that was a rather fascinating story there, a little bit of a tale about the way the video games industry had its own Lady Chatterley's lover moment, which not read about that case well i'd recommend that as a follow-up because it's quite similar um but that's it for this week's podcast that's it for this episode of the show remember if you want to keep up the 30 years of play podcast there's loads of different ways that you can do it if you want to listen to us on your platform of choice you can always listen to us on the likes of soundcloud spotify itunes and acast and if you listen to us on any of those platforms, please remember to give us a lovely review because it helps more people to discover the show. And the more people who discover the show, the better it will do. So please, let's go and do that. If you want to keep up to date with what the 30 Years of Play project is up to, head to www.30yearsofplay.uk where you can find out all about that and a whole lot more. And if you want to keep up with us on social media as well, you can find us at 30 Years of Play, hashtag 30 Years of Play, and just generally keep an eye on the UK feed as well at UK underscore IE, where we go and promote a load of stuff that we're doing on the campaign. But anyway, that's it for the episode for now. We'll be back again soon with another podcast about a great British game. And we hope you'll be back with us when we're there. Cheers.